All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of Home and Commercial Services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're... you're you're doing it wrong. Like you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to obviously his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keely at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at Holland hcs.com you can look up holland home and commercial services on instagram for daily tips and more or you can check out their website hollandhcs.com we have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS, T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I, with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Or you can always call me and I'll cook for them. It's, it really, it's a it's a great way to love people. That journey started early in his beloved granny's kitchen. She was the one that, you know, was always cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She was a Southern belle. She made everything taste good, and I didn't always, sorry, Mom, get that at home. <laughs> but uh, granny taught me how to cook, and 
I've never looked back from that. James is a Fox 6 Good Day Alabama monthly contributor. It's one of the honors of my life. I love cooking on TV. I love hearing the feedback. I love going in there and having people email me and ask questions. It's just, it's fun. And his peanut butter cobbler recipe was featured on the Food Network show Carnival Eats. That was kind of a big deal. I mean, it was... uh, I don't like I got paid for it, but it was a lot of exposure and it was really fun. Head over to ChefJamesKJones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. CrossFit Mophobia is owned and operated by Hayden Setzer. Hayden has a degree in exercise science and wellness with a minor in coaching. She is CrossFit Level 2 certified and Precision Nutrition Certified. CrossFit Mophobia is located at 222 Decatur Highway in Gardendale, Alabama. Email CrossFitMophobiaInfo at gmail.com or call or text 256-303-1873. Or you can look up everything she does on Facebook and Instagram. CrossFit Mophobia. Hey guys, Team Jones here. We just want to give you a few little updates on us. Just wanted to remind you guys to check out James's YouTube channel. It is up and running with some of your favorite recipes. Definitely go check it out. I think you will find some things that you can enjoy. Click that subscribe button and hit the little bell so you never hit miss a recipe. Season 5 of the Straight Out of Prison podcast is coming soon. Hang tight. I personally am loving taking on more one-to-one clients. If you're interested in a life coach, if you want to move the ball forward, get some ideas out of your mind, get some movement going, please reach out, DM me. It has been my joy to watch my wife blossom doing her coaching thing that she's doing now. We started off just doing business coaching, but it's kind of morphed into like more and more one-to-one individual people that just need somebody to help them move the ball forward and see things from a different perspective. Of course, you know, I'm going to say that my wife is amazing, but she also gives very good advice and she's just has a gift to be able to see things from a different perspective and ask questions that get you started in the right direction. Also, if you're interested in advertising with us, head over to teamjones.co and click the join forces button. We'll get in touch and consider whether or not it's a good fit. Schedule us for your podcast or to be considered as a guest on our platforms, contact us by heading over to teamjones.co and click the join forces button. For exclusive content, download the Patreon app and look up Team Jones Media. You'll find many levels of subscriptions, but all levels have one feature. You'll get early access to all our podcast platforms, and they are completely free from ads. The Straight Out of Prison podcast, the For Real Real, and Narrowing the Gap. Thank you guys for your support, and thank you for being a part of our story. Thanks for tuning in to the Straight Out of Prison podcast. You are listening to the best of season six. Best of season six, but I did think you were going to say, This is James K. Jones, and this is my story. And I'm Haley Jones, and this is his story <laughs> that's also become a part of my story. <laughs> I mean, I could do that. Uh, all right, best of season six. And I know that if you want, if you find yourself in a place like I was in prison, my life was over, I didn't. I didn't really have a future, and I was only in my twenties. Right. But I've I've embraced this philosophy ever since then. If you want like some kind of radical change, then you need to do some kind of radical commitment because radical commitments produce radical results. Yeah. 
But during that time, there was one man that rose up that was elected prime minister. His name was Winston Churchill. And he teaches us to commit and to never give up. And he was committed to freedom. He saw that if Hitler were able to overtake the United Kingdom, then he would advance and take over the world. That was the plan. He was going to take over the world. But he stood up in the face of adversity. And in the beginning, it's kind of crazy to think about. He stood alone. He was the only one standing up. When Hitler rolled into France, they were like, okay, take France. You go to the Eiffel Tower, you know, what you need. The Germans bombed their country day after day. And he rallied his people. And eventually, you know, he rallied the American people and eventually the world. But it started with his no commitment. We will never surrender. We will never surrender. We will fight on the beaches. We will fight in the air. We will fight in France. We will fight. We won't fail. We will never surrender. Because he knew that if he surrendered, that it would be a, it would be over. Freedom would be over. And I don't know. He... Besides Jesus and Apostle Paul, he's probably one of my favorites. I history. can almost see you getting emotional telling that. And Winston Churchill was a bulldog. Right, and Winston Churchill was that person that he was more determined to win for freedom, for the sake of freedom, than Hitler was for the sake of power. And if you sum up Winston Churchill, it's in one quote, never, never, never kill. So when they landed... Think he was stopping giving them a leadership pep talk, you know? Yeah, because what he was bringing them into was kind of a, what felt like you said an insurmountable. There was only how five did they win <laughs> versus how many? And, uh, versus how many? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'd be losing art too. I mean, so he did something radical. Okay, <laughs> what did he do? <laughs> He ordered them to burn the ships. So they came over on the ships. He burned the ships. The ships are gone. So he's like, hey, fellas, here's the deal. <laughs> we're going forward, and we're going to conquer the city, or we're going to all die. So immediately, they got encouraged. What a pep talk. <laughs> immediately, they got encouraged. Like, okay, this either go this way or die. And they did. <laughs> they won. Yes, but it's crazy. Okay, so I think why I love this story so much, I'm a visual learner. Just very visual. So to know that you're put in a position, and I do well when I'm put in these positions. Yeah. Maybe this is why this resonates with me. Uh-huh. That, like you said, there is no other option, like but forward motion. And when he burned the ships, I mean that was kind of, that was the way for them to like get out or retreat. Yeah. This is not working, or let's save our own lives. And he eliminated that option, like you said. So their only way to save their lives was to keep going. Was to keep going. And I don't know. I just feel like it probably revved up. I mean, obviously, it revved up something in them that probably for most of them, they didn't even know was there. Yeah. Because, I mean, they were able to win that battle or war, whatever it was. 500 people versus, I mean, it's, it's just a really neat... I do think it, it speaks to the human heart and condition, and I feel like that's in all of us. You know, I've always wanted six-pack abs, but I know I'm not committed <laughs> to that process because I'm going to eat. <laughs> I want to be healthy, but I got to eat. <laughs> I got to do the thing. He said, life is like that. Like, we have a warranty on our lives when we're zero to 18, mm-hmm. and it's on our parents. 
But once we become 18 and become grown and move on, it's not on them anymore. No matter what, good or bad, you know, it's time to accept responsibility for your life and do something about it. Right. There's another part of the accepting responsibility part that some people disagree with me when I say this, but I believe it's biblical, and it was also my experience. Mm-hmm. There is a psalm where David, King David, he wrote the psalms. He was a man of God. God even says he was a man after my own heart, but he messed up. Like, right. He, he made a lot of royal blunders. Yeah, he slept with that wife, right? Well, not just that he slept with the wife, but he had her husband murdered to cover up the fact that she oh, was he pregnant. Like, yeah, it was a double whammy on that one. Yeah, it was a lot. It was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he would get in deep stuff. But there was a psalm from him that said, I can put in the show notes, I don't know the address, but he said, my iniquity I did not hide from you, and I acknowledged my sin to you. I acknowledged my sin to you. I faced it. I looked at it, and I brought it to you. And I said, this is what I did. And then you forgave me and cleansed me and all things. And I believe that in our culture of just saying sorry all the time, like, it's not enough to say, you know, I did that, I'm sorry. Right. Like, you have to acknowledge, like, what you did and to find forgiveness, I believe. I believe you can't be free of it. I don't, I mean, of course, if you're a Jesus follower, your sins are forgiven. But to have it still have hold on you and to be rooted in you and to be controlling parts of your life, you have to look at it squarely, you have to acknowledge it, and you have to accept responsibility. Well, let me read my quote. This is my quote that I wrote for this for this curriculum that I did. It says, We all have to make the fundamental choice to take responsibility for every area of our lives. It simply means giving up all the excuses we have and all the justifications we have for our behaviors. We may even have good reasons, but they're still holding us back. Blaming others makes us feel better, but it's only a temporary fix because it's a deceitful good feeling. It doesn't bring us peace. It doesn't teach us anything good. It doesn't change our situation. It doesn't help us to be free. It actually keeps us trapped and makes us continually angry when we hold on to that. And that's actually a quote by James K. Jones. I love this story. I use this story all the time, and it, it just it inspires me. Yeah. This is this is one of the most inspirational stories I've ever. I've heard it, but it's been of. a while. I, I inspire me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was an older man. I was in my twenties at that time. He was probably in his forties. He was an older guy. Uh, he was very well spoken. He was very articulate in the way he talked. He was very uh, almost like a gentleman. Like the way he carried himself, he didn't raise his voice. He talked with so much sense and he used big words. The way he carried himself, the way he kept his clothes and everything, you know, he was perfectly groomed. He didn't have his GED, came down, we had a conversation with him. Through that process, we realized he had a reading problem. So we had a fix for that too. Like you, if you can't read, because you have to write an essay for the GD, like you have to be able to read and write to pass the test. So there's no reason to put you over there in the GD thing. So we put him in a program we had twice a week. It was called Lawbach Reading and Writing. It was just a program they came in with. They were volunteers, but they used inmates as coaches. And I was a coach, and I loved it. I mean, it was just neat. The first guy that I taught how to read was older than my mom. His name, his nickname was Sparkplug, <laughs> and he couldn't read nothing. And he had been hiding that all his life. And we started doing like the textbook stuff, and then we started with the phonics. I found a phonics book. We started doing that. Yeah, he was reading within like three months, and wow. he, he got to where he could read. 
and then moved on. But then they gave me another person to, to I guess, tutor or whatever you want to call it, yeah. coach. Well, it was Mr. Johnny, Johnny D. So he would sit down with me and would not want to do the lesson. Like, let's talk about this, or what about this happening in the door, what about that, or, you know, tell me about Jesus, you know, just anything to divert from what we're doing. You mean he would? He would. Try to divert. And you you know me, I'm all business. Right. I got two hours to do this, we're going to do the work. That's That's why I'm here. Otherwise, I don't need to be here. And after, like, the third session, he wouldn't come on with it, and I got aggravated with him. I said, look, bro, we want to talk. We can talk back in the dorm. Like, talk to me anytime back in the dorm about any of these things. But when we come out here, I'm supposed to be helping you learn how to read. And if you don't want to do it, don't do it. I'll There's... 12 other people signed up that right. are behind you. And he got he got pissed at me. He didn't like the, that, the way I said it. But I was just like, let's do the thing, or I'm not doing it. And when he finally started applying himself, we came to a place where I realized that this man who looked like he was smart and intelligent and all the things, he didn't know his ABCs. He did not know his ABCs. And he was all, he was in his 40s. And you know how I am. I can't hide my emotions. And I was shocked. <laughs> I mean, I was shocked. Like, how do you not Say know? what? A, B, C, D, E. But I don't know his story. I don't know his background. I don't know his life. Right, right. What he went through. And when he saw the look of just shock, shocked on my face and how. We'll be right back. Head over to our YouTube channel for recipes, podcasts, and now we're even live streaming stuff to give you guys real glimpses into our daily lives. Yikes. You'll also be able to see the podcast behind the scenes and unedited live streams. We've added the first five seasons of the Straight Out of Prison podcast, and even if you've listened to all of them, check out the video format to see pictures, behind the scenes, and a whole lot more. And while you're there, please hit the subscribe button. It won't cost you anything, but it does help us reach our goals to reach a larger audience. Look up Chef James K. Jones on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss a recipe or a podcast. For exclusive content, download the Patreon app and look up Team Jones Media. You'll find many levels of subscriptions, but all levels have one feature. You'll get early access to all of our podcast platforms and they're completely free from ads. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. This was just incredible. I couldn't talk. I was like, this man don't know his ABCs. Like, how do you do that in America? It offended him, and he immediately shut down, and he quit. He was like, I'm done with this shit. That's what he said. He ran off. Uh, Fast forward. I mean, I felt bad for him, but honestly, I didn't go tell anybody that. I was embarrassed for him, and I felt sorry for him. But I was like, what do I do now? Like, I I don't know. So I decided that I just couldn't work with him, so go on to the next one. Fast forward about two or three weeks. He was being dismissed from the honor dorm which means that he would have to go 
live somewhere else because he wasn't doing what we're asking him to do. And it was the day before he was getting, we put in his bed movement for him to move out. And I, I don't know if it was Jesus or what it was. I mean, I believe it was. I went to him and I said, I need to talk to you because he wouldn't speak to me after that. He was ashamed. Right. And he had put up this wall against me. It had been two or three weeks. So I went in the cell. I shut the door. I said, I need to talk. Just look at me. And you got to understand that I'm young, younger than I'm half his age. Right. This right. is hard for him. I said, I know you can't read. And I know you don't even know your ABCs. And he like got riled up. And I said, hold up, let me finish, let me finish. You know that I know that you can't read. You know that I know your secret. Your secret's out. You know that I know it. But I promise you, I haven't told anybody. And I hadn't, I hadn't told anybody. So since I already know, since I know that you can't read, <laughs> and you know that I know that you can't read, <laughs> and I'm learning how to tutor people and teach them how to read, instead of getting kicked out of the dorm, well, let's just let's go back out there and let's learn how to read. And he was he was still mad, but he like braced himself and thought about it for a minute, looked around, and then he said, "Okay." He came back out that Wednesday night. We started with A, A I Apple, B B B Boy. Went through the ABCs with him like the way I would one of my kids. But this guy's twice my age, so it was very humbling. It was humbling for him, but it was humbling for me too. Within two weeks. He read his first sentence. <laughs> That's not all. Like the, he was, a, he was our houseman, which meant when we got locked down, like they locked you in your cells at ten thirty every night. When we got locked down, he would be the one that went around cleaning the floors, and you know he was free to roam by himself. But then he would get to sleep later in the morning. The first thing he started reading was the Bible, and. I told him, don't be reading all the Old Testament mess. <laughs> no, <laughs> read about Jesus. You need to know what he did. And then you, you can circle back on that. You need to know that first. <laughs> and uh, he gave his life to Jesus, and his whole life was transformed. And he was the happiest person at Donaldson Correctional Facility up to the time I left there. And But the thing about it was it was acceptance. He came to a place where he accepted the fact, the secret. And he told me later on, this has been one of my biggest burdens of my life, even up to two weeks ago, because he couldn't read. But he had to pretend like he could read. So if he got mail from home or family... He would take it to somebody else and say his eyes were bothering him and his glasses need to be fixed and make them read it to him. And he would walk around with newspapers and magazines and act like he was. It was just like a secret that had held him for so long. Wow. But once he accepted the fact and accepted responsibility and, you know, just faced reality, his freedom, it just came so fast. And it was, I mean, it was literally weeks and it was crazy, but it changed everything about him. That's unbelievable. It is. The great Stephen Tyler of the band Aerosmith, <laughs> the deep theologian that he was or is. There's a song where he says, life's a journey, not a destination. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's true. But when we're only focused on the events, then we, we miss the journey. Well, I think of a country song now that we're... <laughs> Spewing out <laughs> bands and singers, yeah. but it, it does remind me of the country song. Life's a dance, you, you learn, learn as you go. Sometimes, sometimes you lead, sometimes you follow. Yeah, don't worry about what you don't know. Yep, life's a dance, you learn as you, you learn go. As you go. That's embracing the process. Yeah, from the great John Michael Montgomery. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I can't remember who sang it, but of course you do. Yeah. That's <laughs> 
but it was through going through that painful process that he became a great leader. Right. And I think we we miss that because when you're in the middle of a process, it sucks. I mean, you don't, you can't see. Yeah. You just have to trust and believe and keep going in the same direction. I love that he kept that mindset in the end, though, which is easier said than done. Oh, yeah. To be able to be like, no, that happened for a reason and, and not hold resentment or bitterness to know that it was important, uh, vital, yeah. getting you to where you wanted but to But he became a man of great power. Like right. He could have had them wiped off the planet if he wanted to. But it's true. It's like you said. I mean, I feel like you can sing the songs and the lyrics to the songs, and you can even at the end be like, oh, it was all for a reason. Mm-hmm. But when you are like in the grind of the middle of the process, it is... It's rough. It's the real stuff. <laughs> That's hard. It is. Yeah. regarded as not like Jesus, but you know, he's, he's a big part of the process. Well, I've never made that connection about, you know, if he hadn't done what he had done to keep it united, yeah. then we wouldn't have been the power to have been able to help later with Hitler. That's a neat little connection there. And then during the Cold War, I mean, anyways. But I know if, you get excited about history. I do, but if you look at his process, <laughs> right? if you look at Abraham Lincoln's resume, mm-hmm. he started running for stuff when he was like in his 20s. He was a lawyer in Illinois, but he had like a desire and a knowing that he was created to lead, but every time he stepped up to the plate... <laughs> They knocked him off the base. Right. Like, he ran for office in his 20s, his 30s, and his 40s, like 20 or 30 times, and he never got elected to anything. He never won? One time. I think one time he was a congressman for two years. And think about Abraham Lincoln, if he was your family or your friend. You'd say, Abe, stop running for right. office. Like, <laughs> obviously, you're Let not go, made for Abe. that. You're not created for that. You're not made for that. But at the age of 51, he became the president of the United States at a time in history when we needed him. Mm-hmm. And it would be hard to see what would happen if he hadn't been. Actually, the president that was leaving when he came in thought that he would be the last president because the union had fallen apart. Everything, mm. you know, things weren't working out. But he turned it around. But through the painful processes he went through to get there, he was able to be that kind of leader. He was man of steel almost. Right. Not to make him superhuman, but he was he was ready to do the job. Right. And it's fascinating. You know, I don't want to make this about Abraham Lincoln, but just fascinating the way that he had such a tough process to get to be president of the United States and when he was there he was ready. Yeah. So how are you defining self-image? Self-image is just the way you see yourself. Okay. For me, self-image is seeing myself in the way that I was created. So I'm creating the image of God. He's my creator, so he gets to tell me who I am. He said to me during my quiet time, James, if you want to be successful in your life after prison, you have to stop seeing yourself as an inmate, which made no sense to my brain because I was like, how can I not see myself as an inmate? I, I, I are one. <laughs> <laughs> I are one. You know, I'm in prison. Yes. I live in a prison cell. I wear white prison clothes. There are bars everywhere, razor wire. And above that, when somebody calls me, they call me Inmate Jones. So it's like, that's who I am. So you mean any time that they address you, anybody, they would say Inmate Jones? Well, not not like people that were close to you, but like if they called you somewhere. Right. It was Inmate Jones, 190063, reports to classification. 
it was never could the honorable Mr. Jones come up and talk to the <laughs> yeah. you know because in prison you have three types of people you have inmates officers or we call them police <laughs> and free will people and I was an inmate that was what I was I feel like you're trying to tell me something, Jesus, and I don't understand if something makes any sense to my brain. And he said, and this was life-changing for me even to this day, he said, you have to stop seeing yourself in your circumstances. Your circumstances are you're inmate Jones. You, you're in prison. you got all the things. Like you got yourself here. This is where you are. But in order to be successful, you have to see yourself the way that I see you. So I was like, well, how do you see me? <laughs> And he said, I see you as a son of the living God. That's why I came. That's the whole work that I've done in your life. The reason why I redeem you and all people is to get you to a place where you're a son of the living God. But you don't see yourself like that. You see yourself as an inmate. You see yourself as uh, jaded, as, you know, all the things, the negative. And it was true. That's where I was. That was my reality. So I went through that process. I think I studied that for a couple of weeks before I was st- started to get it. I'm a son of the living God. So I was like, okay, what do you want me to do? Like, what do you want me to do now? And he said, I just want you to see yourself that way. So every time somebody referred to me as inmate Jones, I would say, I'm a son of the living God. I said it to myself. I didn't say it to anybody else. Honestly, I didn't even tell anybody about this till years later because it sounded crazy. Like, so did you do it in your head or did you No, I would number that. They would say, inmate Jones report to, and I would say, I'm a son of the living God. <laughs> and, but it did. It, it was like a six-month process. If you go back to the last key on process, it changed something in my mind and in my heart, and I began to see myself that way. And there's these stories you hear about people that's ever been incarcerated, that when you get out, you're going to have problems. Mm-hmm. I'd heard all the stories, you know, you have a meltdown at Walmart, or you get to McDonald's and you don't know how to order, and, you know, all these things that were going to happen, like your transition is just rough, and, you know, that's why you go to halfway house and learn. I did not have that experience when I got out. Uh, you know, if you go back to season... Was it season three when I got out of prison? Yeah. Yeah. Of the Straight Out of Prison podcast, I just kind of hit the ground running. You know, the day after I got out of prison, I had a job, started working. They dressed me up in a tuxedo, and I was waiting tables. <laughs> they dressed you up in a tuxedo. <laughs> but you did say, too, I remember you saying that people that once you got out and then when you had worked with people or whatever, yeah. met people, that when they did learn that you had just come out of prison, they were shocked. Shocked. It's just crazy to me how I know this was for you when you were coming out of prison, mm-hmm. but how this is so relevant and what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, it's just something that I can right. use and I know practical. <laughs> so many people could use right now, including myself. Oh no, this has been my, this is still my go-to. Yeah. Even to, to today. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I started going to the gym couple, two, three years ago, but when I go to the gym, I can have confidence and, you know, I'm trying to get better, trying to do all things, but if I sit down in front of a mirror, <laughs> like just this morning, I'm thinking, you know, I'm making progress, you know, I'm building muscles, I'm, my body fat is, is going down, and there's a certain exercise where you got to sit down and kind of squat on this bench. 
and I look up in the mirror, and it's like my belly flops over. <laughs> oh my God. And I'm like, my gosh, I thought I was doing so good. You know, I'm working so hard. I'm doing the keto diet. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying. I'm, I'm putting it in. I'm Grinding it out. Doing something every day, embracing the process. And it's just like, oh, man, look at me. Look at that. But if it gets into the way you see yourself, right. then you'll just quit. just kind of following up on what I said. And he said, James knew he wasn't an inmate. <laughs> and, you know, he meant it, you know, sincerely. And I was like, hold up, time out. I was an inmate. <laughs> there was no denying that fact. Right. Like, I was an inmate. So you may be saying, you know, I'm walking through a hard time in my life right now. I'm walking through a divorce. You know, I got fired from my job or there was a death or you know, financial crisis. Okay, that is happening. Those things. Yes. Yeah, and you are in it, and it feels... And going back to the number two key, you have to accept the reality, but you can still see yourself the way God sees you because that's the way to get out of it. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Absolutely. Yes, well, it can be true. So there are positive intervals and there are negative intervals. What I want to focus on in this key is the negative because if you can get rid of the negative, then you can replace them with the positive and you can really see your life change. Right. So, for example, I'm just a very basic example of that is I'm not very smart. I'm stupid. I've always been stupid. You want to have? No, this is an example of a negative <laughs> interval. I was going to say, you're pretty smart to me as far as like... <laughs> no. I like, saw you type. I saw you read. <laughs> no, this is not for me. I, I, this is not one of mine, but I, this is just kind of a very basic, like I've never been smart. Yeah. I've always been kind of dumb. I can't learn. I'll never be able to learn because mm-hmm. that's I'm just a dumb person. <laughs> and somebody's told you that and you believe it. Right, right. So that's that's an example of a negative interval. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you had to define it in one or two sentences, or just how would you simply define intervals? So, well, you first have to define they're healthy and they're destructive intervals. Okay. So, a, a negative or destructive interval is really a promise. Like you would call it, a, I call it a vow because that's what I was taught it. That's biblical language. You know, you make a promise, you make a vow. Right. When we get married, we say our wedding vows, mm-hmm. but they're promises that we make to each other and to ourselves. So a negative inner vow is something that's made in order to protect me from getting hurt. And it's usually the product of something that happened, a life-shattering event, a painful event in our life. When you get around people with negative inner vows, they're like life-draining, both to us personally and to the people that we're around in a relationship with. And you can probably know, like, you've been around somebody and you feel like they just suck the life out of you. Yeah. Well, they're probably dealing with some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, positive intervals are made when we're valued, when we're loved, when we're accepted. And they're usually the product of a healthy relationship, like, with God and a, a clear understanding of the scriptures and Jesus and not like a religious mean thing, but like the, that God is love, that he loves us unconditionally. And 
with your family. You know, a true understanding of God's character usually comes from your father. But the way that we see God, the way that we view God is, is very similar to the way that we view our fathers. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and mothers, too. So, But positive inter- inner vows are life-giving. So they, like, breathe life into us and to the people that we're in relationships with. So people that have, like, positive inner vows... They're the people you get around and you just feel refreshed when you leave them. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And then in the Webster's Dictionary, a vow is defined as to promise solemnly or to swear, a solemn promise or assertion specifically, and this is the one I like, this definition, one by which a person is bound to an act, a service, or a condition. Does that make sense? Is bound to an act, a service, or a condition. So I have made a vow, and now I'm bound to that, to that to an act, to a service, or to a condition. But I'm going to say this again because I think it's important even as you're reading all these definitions. Mm -hmm. I think what makes this one so difficult is that these are all things, I mean, you're talking about a vow, you know, kind of in an outward way what happens, but what we're talking about really is what's happening inwardly in our heads even. These are promises that we make to ourselves. Right. After you discover they're there, then you tear them down by denouncing them, by recognizing that that's a lie. Like, it's not true that all people are evil, because all people are not evil. Some people are. And then you replace them with positive intervals. And I'm not talking about the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it stuff. This is just telling yourself the truth, because every one of those things, every one of those vows I just listed, those are all lies. But I believed them, and I told it to myself, and it was producing negative results in my life. Mm-hmm. Because even you just reading yours out loud yeah. makes me feel like, that's a lot of like <laughs> self-work, you know, like we need some self-care for that. Um, but yeah, so what, what would you say to that if someone says, like, I know I have them, but I mean, I don't know what they are. I don't have time to deal with that. Well, you, do, you do it in one time. It's becoming aware that they're there is the first step. So yeah. you might say, I don't believe in all that. Because I remember the first time my counselor was trying to explain to me, like, this is how it works. Mm-hmm. Because I don't believe in all that. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't do in all that. But a vow is a promise. It's a belief. It goes into our core. It almost, like, seeps into our subconscious. And it's just deep. And we will have our vows played out in our lives eventually, positive or negative. It's the way we're created. It's the way that it works. And Kind of like the whole manifesting term they yeah, use these days. It's the way it works. Because that was my next question, like hearing you talk about this, is that what... What would you say? Because some people say, like, well, yeah, I won't let anybody get close to me. Yeah. I'm kind of digging your heels, and this, you know, and this is why, and I'm just not going to do it. And that's what you can call it an inner bow or whatever, yeah. but that's just my stand. But what would you say to those people? Like, what's the positive reason? Like, what what's the good thing that can happen if, if you do? Because you can be free from that. You, yeah. can have a, you can be free. You can have a productive life. Because what's people, the benefit, I guess? People that say they don't want, this is my vow, I made them, I'm going to anybody close to me. Deep inside, they don't mean that. Because we're created to be in a relationship with people. Mm-hmm. You might say that as a way to protect yourself. And you might dig your heels and you might not want to do the work. But... And it's not magic. You don't just one day say, I'm going to tear down all my intervals. It's just a process. Yeah. You need Jesus. You need at least one other person to help you walk through it. 
and there's freedom on the other side of it and freedom is amazing i love freedom <laughs> and not just freedom is good <laughs> not just freedom from prison which I, i've had my freedom taken from me so i know what that feels like but just living in a free country and being an american and then freedom that comes in jesus from being free to be who he created me to be and not having to worry about what other people think or you know going around all the time trying to protect myself I said all that to say this, the things that we promise to ourselves inside of ourselves, they hold more power over our lives and circumstances than we can imagine. Yeah. And some of these promises can have powerful effects on many people like they did in Europe and Asia well, I think for the, decades. The key, what you said there, is that they can have power over our lives that we don't realize yeah. is that that's happening. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of history. I'm not going to lie. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. I mean, I love it. You're a historian, basically. Well, no, I, I do I'm think... not a historian. I love history. <laughs> well, I'm not a historian. Well, compared to me, you're a historian. But I do think that example is a really good example of that. But it's because it built a wall around a continent. We don't really see it now because we don't remember it. But I remember it. You couldn't go over I mean, it was, they were blocked off from the world. And, you know, ultimately it ended because it was, you know, it was a system that had to fail. Mm-hmm. What we're saying here about inner vows is that when we react out of our negative situations and create these negative inner vows, they build walls that keep us safe inside and keep other people out. But it's not true safety. It's a false safety. In 1987, President Reagan visited the Berlin Wall, and in one of his most famous speeches, he was actually criticized for it at the time, they asked him not to say it. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And he was talking about the Berlin Wall that was built to separate Germany from the Russian side and the free side. So, so I guess we're going to leave people that are listening, and even ourselves, yeah, with challenge. the challenge. Tear, tear down this wall. Tear down this wall, people. <laughs> Do it. So in 1989, I sat in front of my TV and watched with the rest of the world as the German people finally tore that wall down brick by brick. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the most powerful moments in human history that I ever got to personally be a part of. And I will never forget the way that felt watching them. Because for all those years, we had seen the wall. There have been movies made about it. I remember my dad taking me to a movie about... East Germans that were making balloons just to get over the wall so they could be free. This this wall divided a country, it divided families, it divided a nation, it divided the world. And it started with somebody telling the truth and saying, tear down this wall. And it took a few years, but eventually it happened. Today, that's what I think I need to be saying to anybody listening to this podcast. Tear down this wall. The walls in our lives are built by our negative inner vows. Facing them and getting rid of them is the only way to turn them down. I love that visual. It's perfect. It's beautiful. Yeah. Key number six. That's what we're unpacking today. So what is it? It is. It's all about regret and self-pity. Or I like to say regret and his cousin self-pity because they go hand in hand. Cases like that where I do something where I have feel like the pain and regret, if it causes me to do something different, like if you're talking about going through a death or something you feel like you could have done different, 
you can't you can't go back. There's no going back. Right. So the best thing you can do is learn from that and move forward. And that's really the only recipe for a successful life. I heard it said one time that potential is interesting. So we all have the potential to do great things. But actions are everything. So it's what are we doing with the potential that we have. If, if we're consumed with self-pity or living a life of regret, there's no way to tap into that potential. Mm-hmm. So self-pity is just poor, pitiful me, what about me? I don't know. And then this happened, and I tried, and then this happened. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, you get stuck. Yeah. And there's, you have to get unstuck if you want to move forward. Mm-hmm. But regret also has a voice. So what is the voice of regret? Regret sounds like, if only I would have. You know, if only I would have. Yeah. Or, if only I wouldn't have. <laughs> you know, for me, most of my are if only I wouldn't have. <laughs> um, if only they hadn't, you know, whatever. The kids in school, the teacher, if only they hadn't. Or if only they would have. You know, if only I had a teacher that would have and this and that or whatever. If only my parents would have. You know, if only my parents would have. If I could have been born into this family. If only, if only, if only. If only I could go back and whatever mm-hmm. but the cold heart truth really is that we can't ever go back and change any of that i can't change what i've done i can't change what was done to me but i can change my response to it and live my life a different way going forward and that was one of the biggest lessons that i had to learn and there was a story where jesus you know he was the healer he was healing people going around healing everybody so there was a there was a, a, a a story about where he came to a man who was laying out by a pool because he was crippled, and they were seeing these crippled people there to lay, and there was something... I don't know if this was real or what it was, but there was some, like... I forget the actual... There was some, like, thing where they believed there was, like, magic in the water, and okay. that an angel would come down and touch the water, and if you jumped in the water, you'd be healed. <laughs> Well, if you're crippled, aren't you going to drown? No, somebody's... I don't know. I don't, I don't really understand. This all sounds very stressful. I really don't fully understand that part of the okay. story. Um, but anyways, this is where they took lame and crippled people. And maybe it was the salt water or something. made them feel better. I don't know. I don't know. Let's, okay. let's get past that Sorry, story. okay. But Jesus was the healer, and he came to this guy and said, Do you want to be made well? Do you really want to get well? Do you want to be better? Yeah. Yeah. And the guy started with all these excuses. And he's like, well, you know, um, when the angel comes down, stirs the water, I ain't got nobody help me. Nobody nobody cares about me. Nobody's helping me. I try to get in the water. Somebody always goes ahead of me. And it was just excuse after excuse after excuse. I try, but I can't. And Jesus was like, hey, fella, <laughs> do you really want to get well? Do you, I can help you. Do you really want to get well? And it was like he was staring the answer to everything he wanted and needed. He was staring in the face. He was looking at the healer, the answer to his prayers and everything he had. Right. But he couldn't see it or receive it because he was feeling sorry for himself. Mm-hmm. And that really just struck me like, what, do I, what am I missing by feeling sorry for myself? And it just, it really took me on a journey of paying attention to stuff like that. Because what we say to ourselves, like we said in the last key, determines our destiny, like where we're going. And if I'm always feeling sorry for myself, then I can't ever produce anything. You know, who wants to be around somebody that's always whining and, you know, doing all that stuff? Yeah. 
I think we miss we miss good things too. I mean, I can think of it in terms of I love what you said. Like you're thinking, what am I missing out on? Like to come. And I love that mindset. Like, yeah. we could be like that and just, you know, get over what happened. Get over what happened yesterday. Get over what happened in the past. Yesterday ended last night. That's my quote. Oh, you stole my quote. That's yeah. one of my favorite quotes. That's a John Maxwell quote. I used to have that hanging in the bathroom mm-hmm. when I was going through the process of recovering from almost bankruptcy with Kairos Cafe. It was really our first couple years of being married. Mm-hmm. It was yesterday into last night. Move on there. It's time to keep going. You know, there's more... Stuff and quit. Yeah. So I want to talk about something that happened in the life of King David. He was the second king of Israel. Okay, so King David. So David was, you know, David and the giant. He's the one that went out and killed the giant and all that stuff when he was a boy. Right, right. But he became the king of Israel through a process. He went through a lot to get there. But when he became king. The nation was united. Everything started growing. You know, he built a palace. He was... He was a good king. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he was a good king, but he also, like, the people were, were doing good. There was, you know, everything was happening. His economy was good. <laughs> okay, so what regret or self-pity did he have to get over? Because I know where this is going. He got to a place where he had everything. He yeah. was the king, you know... So he had money, he had the palace. Well, David had conquered all his enemies. Right. And he was at the top of his game. Mm-hmm. But there's a story that, you know, later on, after he got where he wanted to be, or, you know, where God promised him he was going to be, everything was going well. You know, David was a mighty warrior. He was the king of Israel. And the Bible doesn't say this about many people, but David is one that says that he was a man after God's own heart. That's what God mm-hmm. said about David. And if you read his story, you can tell he loved God with all his heart. But even in all that, he got full of himself, like we all can do. He right. a big head, and then he messed up. He messed up pretty bad. There was a time where he sent his men out into the field to do battle. Like, he was the king. And it should have been, in those days, kings went with their armies. Like, if you were at war with somebody, you went with them. But he decided to hang back and hang out at the palace. <laughs> So anyway, while he was hanging out of the palace drinking mint juleps or whatever they had in those days. <laughs> mint juleps. He was, from the way I understand the story, his palace was like up high where he could see over the whole city of Jerusalem. Yeah. And he saw a girl bathing on her roof. So obviously she was naked. Was he married? David? Yeah. Yeah, he had a bunch of wives. Oh, okay. It was that day. I forgot. Or that day in time. Yeah, well, or... back then they, they could have... They had many wives. <laughs> okay. But, and being a king, like, he was... Right. You know, that was the, the Middle East, he, you know. Okay, so he saw a girl, and he was like, hey, girl, hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, he saw her bathing on the roof, and he was attracted to her. Mm-hmm. And, like, crazy attracted to her. And he went and said, who's this girl? You know, I got to have her. And they said, oh, that's Bathsheba. And she's married to Uriah. So, you know, you can't have her. <laughs> Uriah, a soldier. Okay, he was one of the. He was out fighting for David in the okay. country, 
And David was like, well, I'm the king. You know, I can get what I want. So he had her brought to him. They went and got her and said, the king needs to see you. <laughs> and, you know, they did the thing and all the stuff. You mean the sexy time? Yeah. <laughs> so I call it the home. <laughs> Had a good time. I don't know about her. <laughs> he had a good time. Is that Apparently. documented in the Bible? He had a good time. Maybe not. I mean, I'm a man. I know. It was, it, anyways, <laughs> you know, it was a good time. <laughs> anyways, but it was somebody else's wife, so right. he was already. That was a big blunder. He shouldn't have. Right. So her husband was out in the field. Had been out for months, and you know he did his deed with her name was Bathsheba. He did his thing with her, and then moved on. I'm the king. I'm going to go find me something else to do. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but a short time later, she sent word to him that she was pregnant and that her husband hadn't been home in six months. So he freaked out. Like, ooh, what am I going to do? So he got someone to go out to where the, they were battling mm-hmm. and had them bring her husband back to the palace. And when the guy came back, he was... I don't know, this guy just seemed like one of those super loyal, you know, just I'm going to do everything I can, I'm a soldier, I'm, right. I'm all, all in. David told you, I just called you back to get a report on how things are going, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all the things. So Uriah was telling him whatever he thought he wanted to know. Right. But then David said, well, go home and spend the night with your wife, and then go back out. That was his way of covering it up. Uh, like, okay. He was going to send Uriah home, go home, you know, do it. Do stuff with your wife and then, sexy time. Yeah, and then that would cover up. Then she, he could think that was his baby that she was pregnant with. Right. So, you know, he was trying to conceal it. Right. But the truth, a lot of times the truth is like the sun. It's eventually going to come out. Mm-hmm. Eventually. Uriah was a loyal soldier and he wouldn't go home. And David, like, commanded him to go home. But he said, I can't. I can't go home and I can't go home and spend time with my wife and do all the fun things when my brothers are out in the field dying and fighting this war. I can't do that. I'm just that's not who I am. So David commanded him to go anyways. He went outside and slept with the servants. So the next morning when David found out that he didn't go home, he called him back in. I was like, Why didn't you go home? And he was like, I told you I can't. You know, I need to get back to my people. I need to I have a purpose. My purpose is to be a soldier and to fight and do all things. So David said, Well stay one more night, have dinner with me. So he pulled him in that night, got him drunk, you know, got him rip-roaring drunk, and then tried to send him home. And the guy wouldn't go home. He actually slept on the steps on the porch or the front of the palace or whatever because he could not make himself go home just in the situation that he was in. So David had a dilemma. He didn't know what to do. So he wrote a letter to his general, and he said, here's what I need you to do. I need y'all to get close to the wall where you're fighting this war. I forget the ites they're fighting. And I need you to put Uriah on the front line and go close to the wall and let the front line get slaughtered. And gave him the letter and sent him back to the general. So this man, who had done nothing wrong, was a loyal soldier, was one of David's subjects, one of his people, was fighting for him, carried his own death warrant back to the general. So, so, so basically he brought his own death warrant and then it he got killed. Well, yeah. So they put him on the front lines. Mm-hmm. They were some war game. You know, they pushed, pushed up on the thing. He got killed. And then the general of the army sent word back to David. I did what you said. You know, everything. Don't get mad at me for moving, you know, because that was something he didn't do. 
in warfare during that time, you didn't move your army up against the wall because people could, you know, drop stuff on you. It was right. Just, it was something you didn't do. Yeah. But the general did it because David told him to. So he sent a letter back and told him, this is what happened, but it's because you told me to. David thought he had everything figured out. So then there was like a, if, you, if your husband died or something, you had to go through a period of mourning, I guess, wear black. I don't know what they did in those days. But it said after her, that was over with, he called and had her brought to him and he made her his wife. So then she had the baby and he thought everything was, you know, fine and dandy. So basically, David had this guy killed because he slept with the wife and got her pregnant and then didn't want it to come out. Yeah, he needed it to be. He was the king. He couldn't let that get out. So we had him killed, married her, and then what? And then when the baby was born, a prophet came to David and said, I need to tell you something that happened out here. So there was a man that had 30 sheep and, you know, was doing well, all things. And then there's another man that only had one sheep. Well, he went and took that man's sheep and did something to him. I forget the exact story. But David was furious that somebody that had so much would do something to somebody that had so little. And he was like, bring him to me. Like, he's going to be punished. We're going to do all the things. And then Nathan, the prophet, looked at him and said, you're the man. You took your right. You have everything. You have wives. You have wealth. You have everything you need. And you took Uriah's wife and you had him killed. You're the man. And, Yikes. It, you know, it, all things. He felt all the emotions. He, like, came to his senses. Regret and self pity. Well, he came to his senses and realized what he had done. And the prophet was like, I just need to tell you what God wants you to know that cause of this, that baby's not going to live, that baby's going to die. Oh. And um, so. Prophet told him because of what he had done, that baby was going to die, and that was the end of it. So David, like he began this process of you know regret and crying out to God and you know praying, and then he started fasting. And you know what anybody would do if they felt like they had a chance. This was his child to save the life of the baby. So he started fasting, and he did all the things that he was supposed to do. Well, yeah, because he actually realized, like you said, he realized what he done. Yeah. get blinded by lust or something that we're doing and yeah. you know once you tell one lie you gotta tell another one then you gotta cover it up and then it just it's a, it's a process right you know, right you find yourself here how did i get here so he was not like flipping about what he'd done he realized what he did and he was very overcome with grief and you know he was doing all the things he wouldn't eat he wouldn't bathe he wouldn't do anything. all he wanted to do was go to the temple and pray that was all he did for, for a season. And actually, he seemed to be in a mess. Like, his servants actually thought he was going to kill himself. Like, they thought, you know, this is, we, David has went, <laughs> you know, he's off the deep end. They couldn't, nobody could console him, nobody could talk to him. All he wanted to do was basically, like, stay on his knees and pray for the baby, his baby, and, you know, ask God to take him. There was all kinds of stuff. You have to read right. the story. It's a very sad story. But he was praying and doing something, and he noticed that his servants were whispering and that they were, he knew something, you know, he just sensed, like something's up. So they didn't want to tell him because they were like, well, if we tell him the baby's dead, you know, he's he's already off the deep end. But he knew something was up, so he asked them, tell me what's going on. And they said, the child is dead. And this is what David did. As soon as he learned that his baby was dead, he got up, he went and took a bath, went to the temple, did 
the worship of God and all things that they did in those days. By this point, his servants, they thought he was crazy. Like, he right, was a yeah. nut. <laughs> like, they thought it was odd. He, he went back to his normal routine. Yeah. Yeah. No, but now he just flipped it and went back to his normal routine just like it was nothing. They thought he was crazy. They were like, what? what is happening? So, okay, so, so after... So he was, I guess, begging for the life of his baby. Yeah. And then... The baby actually did die. The baby died. And as soon as the baby died, he kind of just flipped the switch. Got, got it and went back to normal. So I have struggled. Uh, you have told me this story before, and it's yeah. crazy to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, how could he do that? It seems very insensitive or not insensitive, insincere, I guess. That all the, like, the crying and the praying and all that was just like, I don't know. Well, they thought that, too. The people thought that, too. They thought right. it was crazy. His child had just died, and they thought that this was the time when he should be mourning and not eating and doing all the things. Right. But uh, let me just read it out of actual uh, the actual thing that he said to them. David said to them, to his servants and the people mm-hmm. like, that thought he was crazy, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Is there anything I can do about that? I'll go to him one day, but he will never return to me because he's dead. So what is David saying? And this is the powerful part of the story. And this has impacted my life for this has impacted my life for 20 plus years when I find myself in a situation where I'm tempted to just wallow in regret or self-pity. So what is he saying? And this can be very powerful for all of us if we can comprehend it. Like, if we can really get this. In my language, this is what Dave is saying. I can't do anything about that anymore. While there was a chance, I did everything I could do, but it didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out. It just didn't happen for me that way. Now, why should I sit around and mourn over something I can't do anything about? I might as well go and live my life. I'm still alive. I'm still here. You know, what's that song that's out now? If I'm not dead, he's not done. <laughs> yeah. Greater things are still to come. But this is the... Uh, it, this might sound insensitive, but it's fruitless for us to sit around one over the past. Yeah. We're sitting around wallowing and fretting over something we can't do anything about. Time machines are not real. There's no way to go back and change anything. But everything can change moving forward if you learn something from it mm-hmm. and if you don't stay stuck in it. Yeah. So. Okay, so let's hop on over to the number seven key, which is what we're unpacking today. And tell us what it is. The I don't even know. <laughs> you don't know? Well, remind me. I guess it's a reminder. You've actually been through these keys several times. I know, I know. <laughs> so the number seven key is all about failure and what to do with failure. Mm. So there's a neat uh, passage in the Proverbs of Solomon where he said, a righteous man will fall down seven times, but he'll get up seven times. Mm. So that's really... So basically you just need to get up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm going to take that a step further because last year I attended, it was actually virtual, but it was this like leadership conference thing. Yeah. And I don't remember who it was. I think it was like Boeing CEO or something like that. But, you know, he's, he's been a part of several corporations and is uber successful. Mm-hmm. But he was like, I've learned that 
yes, you say like when you fail, you know, you got to get up and try again. I think we've all heard that. Yeah. But he took it to the next level and said, but I'm going to say that the most successful people are the people that when they fall, they get up the quickest. The quickest. Yeah. So like, don't you know, stay on the ground where once you fail, kind of like the self-pity thing, you know, don't just like sit in it and take it like, okay, I'm going to try again eventually. Like, you know, but like the most successful people are the ones that because everybody's going to fall, everyone's going to fail. Yeah. But it's the people that get back up the quickest that are the most successful. Well, I would like to bring a different, I guess, flavor to this key. Okay. I was in a conference several years ago where John Maxwell was speaking. If you don't know who he is, he's been a leadership teacher for years. And yeah. He's wrote tons of books. He's very successful. But the lessons that he teaches you are so simple, but they produce results. Mm-hmm. He was talking about this, falling down and getting back up. And he brought a different perspective from it because I've, I learned this when I was in prison. But this whole idea of we fall down, we get up. We fall down, we get up. We fall down, we get up. He, he brought a different angle where he said, you know, people say they respect the guy that keeps falling down and getting back up, and there he goes again. He's falling down. Oh, he's getting back up. Falling down again. He's getting back up again. But he said, if you don't learn something when you fall down, just because you get back up, I'm not impressed with you, because you're just going <laughs> to fall down again. <laughs> like, you're going to keep doing the same yeah. thing over and over again. The and definition of insanity, right? Yeah. yeah. And Einstein, to mm-hmm. keep doing the same thing, expecting to get a different result. So, but that is really the key to this key, we're going to fall down, we're going to fail, but if we can learn something from it, then it becomes a stepping stone to success. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I think in this one, probably the one, there's several that drive it home for me, but have you heard of the Native Americans, how they did a rain dance? Have you ever heard of that? I mean, I've heard of a rain dance. I can't, I don't know. Like if it wasn't raining, and this was, you know, pre-modern world, if they didn't have rain, they didn't have crops, and they didn't eat. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess they could just eat animals, but their corn and stuff didn't grow. So they didn't have rain, so they needed rain. Rain was was desperate. Right. So they had this thing called rain dance, where they put on this big show, and they would walk around on the drums and send out the smoke signals, and they were going to make it rain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here's the key to that. Do you know that worked? The rain dance worked in every time? It did? Every time. Why is that? How was that, I should say? Because they wouldn't stop dancing until it rained. <laughs> <laughs> Are you not getting that? So, like, eventually it's going to rain. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but they, it worked for them 100% of the time because they wouldn't stop dancing until it rained. Uh, so, really, they demonstrate through the rain dance that if we persist and keep going, uh-huh. even if we fail, even right. if we have to rain dance for three days uh-huh. or a week, whatever, yeah, eventually we're going to win. Mm-hmm. So, I just, I love that story. I like that, too. That's neat. So, that, that's why I worked for them because they weren't going to quit dancing to rain. <laughs> Is that a true story? Yeah. Uh, That's kind of cool. That's good. Let's go teach my girl. All right, eight. What's this week? I know. What is it? All right, number eight. That's where we are this week. The number eight key is breaking the myth of perfection. Yeah, you need that. (laughs) So do you. (laughs) 
I'm sure as they were writing their names on the Declaration of Independence that they felt feelings of fear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But they didn't let it stop. Yeah. So they just did it. Yeah. So thank you, Founding Fathers. Yeah. I mean, it really is incredible when you think of it. I mean, I know you've unpacked that and on other platforms and other about, you know, just the risks that they took. I don't think we fully grasped the risks that these guys were taking. It was a big deal. Yeah. That they could have, um, you know, died. <laughs> or... Well, it's one thing if you say you're going to kill me, I can die. You know, I can go yeah. to Jesus. But if you're going to kill my family, my kids, my wife, mm-hmm. take everything, uh, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to experience those feelings of fear, but they didn't allow those feelings of fear to stop them from doing the next thing. Yeah. And the next thing was war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes when you take a stand, there'll be a war. Right. And I don't mean a literal war, but like a war in your emotions. Or oh, absolutely. Fear. Yeah. You just got to take it and go and do the next thing. There's going to be resistance in some way or another. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so you always have a quote. I do. (laughs) What is it today? I actually didn't know that you had a quote, but I felt like maybe you did because that's who you are. (laughs) Well, the last one we did, I told you, uh, you said, you remember that quote? I said, I have a quote for every key. I mean, I wrote these keys. (laughs) We're on number nine now. I'm just now. I'll probably, next time I'll probably forget again. It's fine. (laughs) You should go back and listen to number eight key. That's when you learn. All right, so we think that fear means the feelings that we sometimes feel. No matter how courageous we are, at times we will all experience the feelings of fear. But the practical definition is to not allow those feelings of fear to cause us to run from what we need to accomplish. Did you do that quote? James K. Jones. <laughs> Good job. Like that quote. <laughs> All right, so I'll close with a quote. Is that good? Yes. So this is from Albert Einstein. I like him. You do? I mean, yeah. I don't know, but I, I admire him. <laughs> so, <laughs> what, what do you admire about Albert Einstein? I like that I remember when I was a teacher, I read somewhere, and it really helped me with one of my students. Mm-hmm. said, I didn't fail. I just found 10,000 ways that didn't work. All right, this will probably wind up on the blooper reel, but that was not Albert Einstein. <laughs> Who was that? That was Thomas Edison. Anyway, it's this a great why, idea. This is why you need me and I need you. Okay. Right, anyway, so. let's... Okay, Albert Einstein did the light. I do know that. No. Okay. <laughs> what did he do? He discovered the the theory of relative, like the atoms and all that stuff. Okay. <laughs> I think we should just skip to the quote. We can <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna close with a quote. This is by Albert Einstein. He says, Strange is our situation here upon Earth. Each of us comes for a short visit, not knowing why, yet sometimes seeming to a divine purpose. From the standpoint of daily life, however, there is one thing we do know that we are here for the sake of others, for the countless unknown souls whose fate we are connected to by a bond of sympathy. Many times a day I realize how much my outer and inner life is built upon the labors of people, both living and dead, and how earnestly I must exert myself in order to give in return as much as I have seen.
Hey guys, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Written and produced by the Team Jones Company. Connect with us on social media, YouTube, all the things. Too many things to mention here, but I put them in the show notes. You can If you like what you've heard, please go over to our all of our social platforms. Like, subscribe, let us know what you thought. Also, the YouTube channel, please subscribe so you can know when new videos and new recipes come out. Look that up and and see how you want to connect. You'll get the latest of what's going on and how you can plug in with Team Jones. If you head over to the show notes, it'll just say, for more from James and Haley, I'll put links to everything we do in there. You can check out our YouTube channel, check out our other podcasts, check out our Instagram, Facebook, coaching, cooking, all the things. Also, please support our sponsors. They help us provide this platform for free, and we can personally attest to their integrity, the service, and the work that they do. Other ways you can support us is by giving a rating and review to the podcast. Like it, share it, send it to a friend, send it to a family member, somebody, send it to your people, somebody that may get something out of it. Thank you guys for being a part of our story. Thank you guys for your support. And again, thank you for being a part of our story. See you soon, guys. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Written and produced by the Team Jones Company. Yours truly, James and Haley Jones. If you're interested in advertising with us, head over to teamjones.co and click the Join Forces button. We've redesigned our media kit with some exciting new details. If you'd like more information about being a sponsor, email me, Haley, Haley at teamjones.co. It's not .com. The best way to support us is by telling your friends and family about the podcast. Other ways to support us is by liking and sharing the podcast and giving us a review. Well, as long as you think we did good. (laughs) Or you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of home and commercial services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. Like, you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to, obviously, his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If 
it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal, especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keely at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at hollandhcs.com. You can look up Holland Home and Commercial Services on Instagram for daily tips and more. Or you can check out their website, hollandhcs.com. We have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast, Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS. T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I, with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Head over to ChefJamesKJones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. 